Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of the Fertility Podcast. If this is the first time that you've joined me, as always, welcome to this podcast. The circumstances of you finding this podcast might not be uh, the happiest. You might have just been given some pretty tough news or maybe you're already on a fertility journey and you've just been looking for more resources. Whatever your reasons for being here, the Fertility Podcast is a safe place for you to hopefully uh, engage and learn and hear from a range of people, from experts to everyday people who have experience in the fertility field. Personally, I'm not an expert. I've been through fertility treatment. I'm now a a very proud mum of a seven-month son. I've been making this podcast for about a year. It's now October 2015, if you're listening to this at a later date. Season one is available at thefertilitypodcast.com. Season two is taking us up to National Fertility Awareness Week, which is in November. So we've not got long. There's lots going on. And I really hope that you find this of interest. Now, we're going to speak to a lady who I met on Twitter called Alison Reed, who is a fertility coach. Hi, Alison. Hi, Natalie. Hello, welcome. I was keen to talk with you, especially as you're based in Ireland, because so far we've been speaking to coaches and people that offer support in the UK. And I'm just interested whether there is any difference in the kind of perception with infertility in Ireland. I mean, I think worldwide it's still so taboo. Have you felt there's been any change over maybe the last couple of years of people maybe talking a bit more openly about fertility issues? Not really, Natalie, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I think traditionally in Ireland, you know, the, the rule of thumb was you got married and, and you had your children and it just happened just like that. And that's obviously changing. Um, relationships are, are changing in the different nature. Obviously, historically, we're quite a Catholic country, so that has had implications, definitely. And I think our parents' generation is just completely different to the way we are now. I was at a support group recently and I did feel, certainly from a male perspective, there was a little bit more openness with the males in in the two groups however you know I still think the females dominated there were more females in the room but I still think outside of those environments and outside of clinic waiting rooms there is not an awful lot of talking Um, there's a bit of talking on some of the um, I suppose pregnancy and parenting websites but I think that's because you can um, maintain your anonymity on those yeah so that's helping but I think in the general context outside of those circles, no, no, it's it's not okay. changing, sadly. Well, I mean, as as we both are trying to get people talking more, let's talk a bit about your story because you yourself have had your own infertility journey, haven't you? That's right, Natalie. Yes, and, and thankfully I'm out the other end. When did you first find out that you're going to not have a straightforward route into starting a family? Yeah, I mean, we got married. I, I met my husband um, kind of early 30s and got married mid-30s and, you know, pretty much wanted to get started on the family straight away with the body clock ticking away in the background. So and I was dying to have children. And quite quickly, within six months, I had to go to the GP. Nothing was happening. Did some initial checks. Everything looked fine. You know, because of our age, he said, right, you should really get, you know, checked in with one of the hospitals. Um, and speak to one of the, I suppose, reproductive endocrinologists there. So we did that, went through a raft of tests, both of us actually. So we're probably about 10 months since we got married at this stage. And at at that point, I suppose, we began to realise that it wasn't going to be straightforward. And, you know, he gave us the results of all of our tests and... It, it, I suppose it was heartbreaking, to be honest with you. You know, these guys are very medical, very factual, delivered a blow. I mean, I felt like someone just 
thumped me in the stomach um, and wasn't nobody was going to catch me. I was just falling and falling um, to realize that we weren't going to be able to conceive our children naturally, which is which is heartbreaking news to get. So um, that was kind of the, the the first time. And, you know, he started throwing options at us that day and some of them just didn't sit with me. And, you know, I'd obviously never thought about adoption, um, having to go the route of IVF, didn't really know much about that. And we just kind of, I, I was just numb, numb when we found out. So I suppose from that point then, you, you, you walk out of that room and there really wasn't much support available, to be honest with you. I've often thought about it afterwards that perhaps, you know, when people are getting such news, there should be a nurse on standby or, I completely or, agree. or a counsellor. I mean, we were left to walk out of that hospital lost. And the first thing you do is you go home and you get on the internet and... <laughs> It goes on from there. It's so familiar what you've just said about the way that information, the first time you told us a problem, the way that information is given to you. And I know you said it's a medical person, what have you, and obviously there's much graver news that they probably had to give in different scenarios. But do you think that if we could get that message, that memo to those people giving that information that maybe have a little bit more humility? I mean, I know they don't do it purposefully. Do you think that it's possible that we could get that message to the medical professionals? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, I suppose a, a, a message that's not nice or not what someone wants to hear is never going to be received, you know, well. But I think it's letting them know what's there for them straight away um, in terms of support, maybe handing them a fact sheet with the, you know, contact number for the National Infertility Support and Information Group. Like all of those support, miscarriage association, any of those kind of resources, their own internal hospital resources in terms of counsellors or, or nurses that you can have a chat with. But they should be made available to you immediately. And that's yeah. the gap. We we didn't have that support and we didn't know where to turn. And it's funny, I think I only found out about the National Infertility Support and Information Group after we had our children. <laughs> yeah, I definitely found out much more once the process had been successful. So going back to your situation, you and your husband obviously take yourself away and, and jump on Google. It becomes your friend and foe what was the next step we went back to the clinic definitely there was a bit of a, t a time lag and we went back in and, and started to look at was the IUI procedure thought that would be the closest possibility excuse me to a natural conception but I suppose in order to do that obviously I mean my husband had had um, cancer so we needed to you know both have some procedures done right so we we went through that so I think uh, unlike most couples I think the, the woman seems to go through most of the the chopping up and the prodding and the poking but in fairness, yeah. my, my husband had just as much um, tests and prodding and poking as I did. So once we kind of got to that stage, we actually changed clinic. So from the clinic that we originally referred to, and they gave us the bad news, and just through the procedures, we'd had such a bad experience. I just felt like we weren't being treated with any type of empathy. I decided to, well, I knew some friends had gone through um, successful distant reproductive treatments with other clinics. So I, I reached out to them and I said, look, where did you go? Um, so once I'd established that, we decided to transfer clinics. That took some time because you have to transfer paperwork. And I was getting issues with around data protection and how to transfer that information and so on. Now I think they've streamlined that process since. So, can I just can I just butt in and ask, um, how does it work in Ireland with regards to funding? Is this all self-funded? Absolutely. That you're talking all about, self -funded. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we moved clinic and to be honest with you, there's no major cost difference between any of the clinics, you know, for the, the general treatments and we don't have, um, there's nothing funded like the NHS in the UK. 
Sure. Can you explain then just the process of IUI, what that actually meant? Yes, I suppose ultimately uh, they they were watching my ovulation um, and and my uh, cycle um, to see when the optimum time would be. Obviously, I'd had drugs, so they were, I suppose, trying to control that to a certain extent. And then within a certain period, I think it's 24 to 36 hours of ovulation, they basically um, input the sperm into my body at that time. So I guess the difference between that and IVF is that my eggs don't leave my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're in the new clinic. Yeah, new clinic, new start. Um, lots of hope. First two didn't work. My third one was going good, actually. Well, I suppose you could call it good in in, uh, in fertility terms. But I produced quite a lot of eggs, so they switched me to an IVF protocol for that to take out the the eggs because they felt that would be a better route to go. Um, and believe it or not, I actually did get pregnant on that um, transition from IU to IUI to IVF, which was just great because I was so excited with the possibility of IVF and. I always thought, wow, once I do IVF, that will be it. I'll get pregnant and this this will all be over. Um, but sadly, I, I lost um, that baby. I had a miss miscarriage at 12 weeks. So that was, was gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. You know, you, you just think you're there. It's within reach. Yeah. But, uh, it's snapped away so quickly. So, And just tell me, how long had you been going through treatment at this point? Oh, three. I think the IUIs were quite quickly. So probably maybe six or eight months six to eight months where it's all consuming yeah 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 lots of uncertainties ups downs you know doubts and all of those and during this time i mean we'll get to your coaching kind of journey Mm. but the conversations between you and your husband you mentioned that he'd obviously had quite invasive procedures uh, with the ivf initially it's it's a test from the guy and um, maybe a sample from the guy and then it's predominantly with with the woman so were you talking openly together were you at this point seeking any external support no we didn't you know I suppose I suppose we didn't feel like we needed counseling now I think my perception or my understanding of counseling I just didn't think it's um I suppose um I'm trying to think of the right word kind of suited what we were going through to be quite honest. okay you know I, I always felt that counseling was something that you did um you know to find out why things were happening and so on whereas I think your fertility or infertility you know problems it's it's something you're just thrown into it's not it's it's a different environment and that's why I just didn't feel like counseling was going to be for us I mean I'm quite a vocal person I talk about my husband will tell you I talk about my feelings regularly and um, I yeah. told my mom I confided in my mom and one one really good friend of mine she knew everything so I'd you know opened up that my husband had told his mom and that was it and um, so we did have a bit of a support network um, definitely. And we we spoke a lot about it um, to each other, too. Probably more me to him than him to me. But that's that's just, you know, that's just a guy thing. He's just quieter around that type of thing. But sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we didn't seek, you know, official counselling and so on. So I just didn't feel like it was going to be the right thing for us. OK, so we, we we from the from the the loss at 12 weeks, did you give yourself some time out or did you just carry on with, with further treatments? I think I gave myself about 12 weeks, um, Natalie. I mean, I just, that day, I just remember coming home and, um, you know, it was funny that day, actually. We in, we went in for our 12-week scan, all excited, actually into the maternity hospital. So we'd moved mm. up a notch and um, it was, at, you know, at that point they discovered there was um, a problem. 
I mean, I'd had no pains or, you know, bleeding or anything like that. So it was just total shock. But before we actually had that scan, we were sent into a room with a nurse. She was telling me that breastfeeding was best and giving me all these lovely folders and information sheets and being pregnant and what to eat and what not to eat and some other bloods that we had to do. So it all seemed normal. And then we'd actually paid our money. We had paid our money over to the to the semi-private consultant that day. Then to find out that there was nothing there was just... so then we had to go into another unit to have another scan just to double check and he confirmed it and I was sent home to to let it all happen naturally so I literally crawled into my bed and waited if you have found yourself in a similar situation to Alison please do get yourself to thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash season 2 ep 2 okay that's the show notes with all Alison's details on and if you've got any questions, you can just email questions at thefertilitypodcast.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. Let's hear more from Alison. The Fertility Podcast. When you were sent home, was there any indication given to you about where you could get any support, anything that you could look at, anybody you could speak to about what had happened? Um, I think at that point they did actually give us some um, information on counselling available in the hospitals for patients who had suffered miscarriage. Yes, there was. So, you know, I, I did take the good out of that and this would be me, you know, glass half half full girl um, that, you know, I had been pregnant, I did conceive and I I'm, I suppose I ran with that once I, you know, was crying my eyes out for Oh, okay. So, so let's move forward 12 weeks and I'm not doing it lightly. I just want no to get worries, through yeah. to the, the positive outcome. What happened next? So we started again and, and this time obviously it was around straight to IVF. There was no IUIs. And I think at that point I'd had two or three IVFs and just between one thing and another, hormones weren't right just didn't they just didn't work so at one point I got really frustrated with them and I really wasn't happy with the attention we were getting so we called it a meeting with the doctor and I just said to her look I I don't understand this you know you told me we'd have I can't remember what the number was but let's say a 75% chance of success and you know we're here I've tried xyz and nothing's happening so you know at this stage we're probably on a year and a half you know it takes time to go through all of those IVF processes this so she said to me, well, look, you know, we can do some more tests, but, you know, there's tests, there's so many tests we can do and there's a cost. And I was like, OK, let's just take cost out of it. Tell me what tests, you know, you highly recommend. She basically did some autoimmune tests on me. That was the one that basically threw up that I may have autoimmune issues. So ultimately, I, I had what I think the, the term is natural killer cells. So when I, killer gene, yeah, yeah. When I did get pregnant, my body felt there was something alien in there and rather than support its growth it decided to effectively kill it off which is you know quite brutal when you think about it but our body in a way my body was trying to protect me um, I just want to stop you a yeah. second just talk about that what the, I'm going to call the killer gene because I've, I've called it that before okay. and I know it sounds pretty harsh but from my understanding in the UK and from a very good friend of mine who discovered that that's what she had after after having fertility treatment and miscarrying um, she had to pay quite a hefty sum because she, in, in the UK she was told that the, the, the that test was done in the States and that's why it had quite a big price tag on it now I'm just curious do you think that if that test had been presented to you earlier as an option you would have taken it because my my feeling is that you kind of have to jump through hoops to get to that point where that test 
happens and it does seem to be a, a gene that I think is more common in women than maybe maybe women realise. Yeah, you know, I think it should be part of the standard. I think when you walk into the clinics now, I think it may have changed, Natalie, since 2011 you know, or 12 when we were going through this. Um, and I think they do give you a lot more um, screening, I guess if you want to call it that, when you go in. I think it was a couple, might have been a few hundred euro to have it done. In the grand scheme of things, at that stage, I had had, whatever, three or four failed IVF. So we're, we're, we're already on 20,000 euro, if not more. So, right. you know, if you had said to me, would I have rather that at the beginning, pay that extra three or four hundred? I did, well, do you know what? Yeah. I would have paid a thousand euro for it. <laughs> in well, retrospect. That's, that's, and it might have saved me 15. <laughs> That's around the price tag that my, my friend paid. Yeah. That's why I, I thought it might be more than what you said. Yeah. Once that's identified, then obviously they can combat that with different protein boosts and stuff. Yeah. Is that right? And it's, it's all a natural treatment. I mean, it's basically, you know, when I, I did successfully get pregnant, uh, there was one other drug I'll talk about in a minute that really helped me. But, you know, when I did actually manage to get pregnant, they I went in for this intralipid treatment within my two-week wait. It's just you're hooked up to a bag of, I think it's like soya fat. It's like natural produce that goes in. It's like a big pint. It's like, I suppose, instead of giving blood, you're kind of getting something in the same kind of manner um, back yeah. into your body. You sit there for an hour and a half. You watch TV. You put your feet up, have a chat with the girls also having it done. And by the way, the room was full. Um, and, you know, it's not very invasive and you go home. Um, now, you obviously put on a bit of weight with it. I think it's pure fat going into your body. But I firmly believe that's what helped me sustain and keep the pregnancy in the end um the other thing i just want to mention is i i was given another drug and um well i won't call it a drug it was called a supplement and it's called dia and that's d-h-e-a um and ironically enough um the word dia in gaelic means god and that's d-i-a now it's a different spelling what i was thinking okay here we go we're going to take these magic supplements now you know i kept telling i'm going to eat you know it's god and it's going to do his work and i'm not very holy but at this show you have bad and they're desperate you get at this stage i was hanging on to it um and, and and from that meeting where i said right you know what test can you give me she spoke to me in that meeting about this other thing called d and i don't think there's a lot um of research done around it and so on but it's a supplement ultimately so i was like well okay it's it's a hormone you know it's what what real harm can it do and i think it's like anything you know everything in moderation and it should be fine now, i did have side effects um, and the idea behind this um, DIA treatment was that it would strengthen my immune system and it would increase the levels of testosterone and estrogen. Okay. okay. So, and, and I I'd had hormone problems also creep in and they weren't there at the beginning of the process. So I do think all the drugs and the treatments that you're going through eventually yeah, messes yeah, up. screw you up, basically. So um, I took DIA for three months. Side effects weren't very pleasant. My hair began to fall out. I um, got more facial hair, already have a little bit, oh, but we, okay. <laughs> you know, I live with that. It's only a small little bit. That got worse. Um there was one other major oh yes um a lot of nasal congestion um and my skin broke out in, in quite bad spots now again at that stage it didn't matter to me but ultimately i was taking testosterone so i think i was slowly but surely you know turning into a man <laughs> sorry i'm not laughing i know it's okay i, I really laugh at this now, i think at the time i even found all of that funny you know and I, at yeah. that stage you know, I, I think I was more open with my friends and family. So, it, you know, as the years progressed, 
you, you do talk more about it, definitely. Um, and, you know, I did tell people, and you know, I'd laugh about that and, and, and so on. But I mean, I, I didn't have a social life at that stage anyway. Sure, I was, I was just like on a one track mind. So it didn't matter. My husband still loved me. That was another turning point for me as well. But again, if I hadn't have taken control and had that meeting with that doctor and said, right, what else? What else? I, was, I, had, my, I had my coaching hat on. I was like, what else can we do? What else can we do? And I kept asking and asking till I got the answers. And I think if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Tell us where you are today. Mm. I am, I'm going to get emotional now, proud mom to twin girls. They just turned two in June. So they are adorable, adorable. Little monsters at times, but you know what? It's all part of it. And um, I love the challenge of, of parenting and it's just such a joy. And, you know, I, I think we our life would have been different without them, but we, we would have got there. And we, we you know, we, we thought about that and what our lives would look like without children. We had to. It, it wasn't. That's not how things turned out for us. Thank So this period of the supplements, you then, am I right in saying you then had an, another round of IVF and that was successful and when you had the twins? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you made the decision to have two eggs put in or was it a natural split? Um, I made the decision to have two back in. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny when we went for our seven week scan in the clinic just to double check what was there. And obviously I'd had a positive pregnancy test and um, I'd done a gazillion pregnancy tests at home in between <laughs> the four week and the seven week mark. Um, and, I, you know, that day I still went in doubting. You know, I was like, oh, I said to the doctor, I said, oh. I really don't think you're going to see anything. And she's like, would you stop? Would you be positive? <laughs> blah, blah. And within seconds, you know, she had me on the on the table and doing her thing. And, and she said, there's not only one heartbeat. There. She says, there's two. And I had actually totally forgotten. I was so desperate for any sign of life that I had put two embryos back in. And that's no word of a lie. <laughs> sure. So that was a that was a brilliant shot. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional even thinking about it now. It just used to be goosebumps. My, my poor husband went green, but that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said, you were pregnant on your 40th birthday yes I was yes larger than life on my 40th birthday so no, delayed no celebrations <laughs> well I, I mean a, a remarkable story of perseverance and and anybody listening who is going through their own fertility treatment it's it's kind of part and parcel that you've just got to kind of dig in and put on that thick skin and and almost carry on regardless don't yes, you yeah it's and, an endurance <laughs> and and I know that that's led to your coaching which you now specialize having done coaching previously and I haven't really got the time to go through the the credentials no but you, you've you've got the fertility credentials to, to have led you to your fertility coaching and you work face to face which I'm really interested in about because as much as we are in a virtual world and there are many coaches who work virtually using Skype it's it's brilliant that you you can have that that one-to-one -one contact how's it working you're based in Ireland uh, where, whereabouts are you um I, you know I'm in North North County Dublin um and I, I live quite centrally to the city so I'm I'm working with the holistic center which is in Dublin 3 so I have rooms there and also then with a, a general uh, medical practice which is based in, in Dublin 17 and the ratio of men to women that you work mm. with at the moment, it's all women. And do you think that the women, I mean, obviously they're going home and they're talking to the other halves, but do they feed through to you what's going on with their husband enough? I mean, I, I'm sure that they're going to talk about it because it's a, it's a two-party thing most of the time. Do you try and extract more from what's going on with the husband? Yeah, I mean, I suppose at the beginning of the relationship, I would get them to fill out a form and I, I would always ask the, the woman to fill out her form and the, the partner to fill out um, their form as well. And that's just to get a full picture of, of background, okay? Now, I don't see them both together um, and if they requested, I, I still wouldn't do that. It's just a different dynamic. So, uh, you know, I, it's 
just to get that background information is key. So you do get some input that way um, from the partner. Um, so that's helpful, I think, when you're kind of working through um, the issues um, with, with with typically the the, the, the woman. So, um, yeah, it's I think, you know, the females probably go home um, or the women probably go home and, um, you know, tell their husband what they're doing, what, what I said and so on. So I think indirectly, you, you know, you're probably in, in influencing them somehow. Definitely. Um, and as far as the coaching goes, at what point, just talk me through, like, at, at what point someone comes to you? Is it when they've just found out or is it when they've already started the treatment? Can it be just when they're trying to get pregnant? So far, I think it, it's been people who are trying to get pregnant, to be honest with you. People who've had unexplained infertilities that have been through some tests, maybe tried some natural, you know, processes um, and are really getting frustrated with it. So I think kind of some of the main challenges I'm seeing with my clients are around, you know, self-limiting beliefs they've just lost who they are what they what they want what they're doing they, they really can't relax stress levels are high don't have any quality of life it's just overtaken them one other lady did she was a bit being a bit more proactive and really just wanted to i think she was just anxious about having a family so not necessarily had not been confirmed with any fertility related problems and um, but just thought you know what i, I just want to make sure this is for me and this is what i want and, and we did a lot of work around her values and you know who she is and, and what she wants um from life so that was a, a big process of self-aware you know raise her own self-awareness and um, a process of discovery for her um, and she you know she in the end was was going home to to get to get at it and uh, you know begin and start her family but she just wanted to check in with herself so how often do people come and see you? I mean, do you have it like weekly or is it monthly? It's typically every once every two weeks. Um, and then I would recommend usually about five or six. So over a period of maybe three months. Some people do like to just do what I'm calling a bit of a sanity check. So I'd one lady just come for two, two sessions. And I think she got like what that. she wanted out of it. And she just wanted, she, she used me as a soundboard and said, right, this is what I'm thinking am I losing it? <laughs> you know, do I need to go and, and see a psychologist or, you know, and, you know, I was able to tell her, no, those feelings are absolutely normal. Do not underestimate, you know, your problems um, and just take good care of yourself. And, you know, we gave her some tools and techniques about how she would relax more, sleep better um, and, and try and just get some, I, I suppose, balance back in her life. So, you know, that, that just took two hours. It doesn't have to be, um, um, you know, three months. Yeah. And I mean, I'm flexible that way too. So it's, you know, whatever works. It's going to be bespoke to whatever somebody needs, isn't it? And you, you talked about um, Roller Coaster. The, the, is, it, is it an online magazine or is it an actual magazine in Ireland? Um, it's, it's actually, um, I suppose, a, a website um, okay. for all things pregnancy and parenting uh, related in Ireland. And that has a huge, huge following. And as I mentioned, it's, you know, there's an anonymity on it, which is great. So, um, you know, you have your own little code or name. And I made some great friends and got some great support and information off that website just from chatting there's loads of different threads so the the you know the thread i was on for say ivf people going through their ivf journey in april i don't know 2012 so each month you know a group of ivfers got together and they all shared their stories and support and so on and i actually went on to meet one of the girls actually in person and um we still keep in touch today our timing was just in sync so um so yeah but i would highly recommend that um forum to anyone especially with the anonymity it's great yeah. Well, we're going to put links to 
everything that you've been talking about from your practice to how people can follow you on Twitter um, to roller coaster as well. And I know that you were talking about doing some kind of offer for October. We're going to give a code. Should we put it in the in the show notes. Yeah, Is that what you're right. running? So um, with for the month of October, um, I'm I, I would always do a free consultation initially to make sure people know what coaching is and you know how it might help them and to see if it's something that they're up for because obviously they have to do a little bit of work as well. It's you know it's it's very much a collaboration. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm also uh, offering then from the first, um, I suppose, appointment with me, which would typically be an hour, I would, um, I'm offering a 40% discount once that is booked before the 31st of October this year. So basically, we're going to offer a little code called PodCoat. So if people get in touch with you, Alison, we'll put all the details on the show notes and, and quote that PodCoach code then you'll know they've come from hearing our chat here on the podcast and hopefully they can continue a relationship with you how does that sound that sounds great so yeah just quote that and you can either email me and quote it or uh, call me and quote it well thank you for your time it's been really interesting talking with you about your story and 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 where you are now and best of luck with the coaching how long have you been running the practice then um it's new so it's just uh, founded i suppose this year really well really good to talk to you and no doubt we'll we'll be in touch again and uh, yeah thank you enjoy your day thanks Alison. okay bye bye a place for women and men to share and hear stories about the fertility journey So a remarkable story. If you're in Ireland, do look up Alison. All her details are on the show notes. So make a note that's thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash season two, ep two. And you can find how to follow her on Twitter, the details that she mentioned about Roller Coaster, her website, and of course, the details of the discount she's giving on her courses. If you missed the uh, special code that you need, it's podcoach, P-O-D. C-O-A-C-H. So if you just contact Alison uh, through the show notes, her email address is there too, quote podcoach, and you'll get a brilliant 40% off her coaching course. So thank you for listening. Now do make sure you go to thefertilitypodcast.com and register your details, subscribe. We've got some really interesting content coming up. And the next episode, we're going to be talking about freezing your eggs, hearing from an IVF counsellor. And also a real story from a lady I've met in Tweetsville, as I like to call it. This is something I also did in season one. Now, this lady is a blogger who is dealing with secondary infertility. And she's actually embarking on three mild cycles back to back of IVF treatment, which I'd never heard of before. So she'll be talking us through what she's going to be embarking on. It might be something you yourself are looking into. So subscribe and look forward to seeing you next time. 